0: To the highway In a brand new day
1: welcome to this edition of open the voice gate everybody i'm your old pal iron mike spears and i'm being joined by habitual co-host alum joe lanza's young boy someone who also put themselves through a ton of writing over the last few weeks about this promotion we love case low case how's it going today
0: i'm well i'm glad that i have uh, kind of earned back my co-host title because for a while i was just inviting myself on the show whenever <laughs> i felt like talking about the product uh i feel like i've been on enough recently to where i'm like no i'm part of the family again i'm i'm in this i might not be on every episode but i'm i'm a factor in, the, in this podcast and it's it's good to be back on open the voice gate to discuss kobe world and what may come of it
1: yeah and it's been a while I've done the show. I've been busy with my own things, and there's been a lot of stuff up on Voices of Wrestling from both of us. But we, we couldn't go much longer past Kobe World without talking about the 20th anniversary of the Dragon System, the 15th Kobe Pro Wrestling Festival. And just off the top case, we, we've kind of talked about this privately. Where would you rank this show all time in the Dragon System? Because I have it very high up on my list
0: this has to be one of the greatest shows in dragon gate history and i've been covering the promotion in depth now for four or five years with voices of wrestling and there have been a few times where a show has ended and i felt like wow this is not only a great show but this feels like an all-time dragon gate show and when this show ended and ben k had the belt and he was cutting his promo in the ring and the confetti was falling it was immediately in consideration for not just one of the best shows that this company has ever put on, but perhaps the best show that this company has ever put on, uh, dating back to January 31st, 1999, with you know Bond's landing in Japan. So I did some kind of deeper analysis of it. I went onto the Voices of Wrestling forums and posted uh, in the Dragon Gate thread there because I didn't feel like this was necessarily worthy. Of an article because it would fall more into the listicle category, and we, you know, try for a little bit of a higher brow content on the voices of wrestling. Uh, But you've got some extended thoughts on the forum that I can go into here, where I've kind of narrowed it down to where it's definitely one of the three best shows that we've ever seen from Dragon Gate. I currently have it at number two. Um, I think Kobe World 2011 was just a hair better. I just I think that show peaked higher, and so I gave that the edge but Kobe World 2011, Kobe World 2005, and Kobe World 2019 are all in this upper echelon of all-time Dragon Gate shows, which by proxy kind of makes it all-time good wrestling shows, period.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you walk away from a show that, at least for me personally, I had five matches at four stars or better, and if I rated comedy matches, that probably would have been another four-star classic. And you compare it back to how Kobe Worlds have been, especially in recent years. This was definitely a return to form. And it, to me, it's neck and neck with that Kobe World 2011 show just because of that was in the, in the peak of probably the most concentrated feud um, inside the promotion in history, and everything kind of played off of it. You had a great Dreamgate match between Mochizuki and BB Hulk, you and Shingo, and then you had, of course, the Spike Mohicans versus PK1 tag match. So it's one of those two, I feel like.
0: Yeah, I think it has to be. And and this show was one that I had really high expectations going into. And it amazingly not only met those expectations, but surpassed them. Which in 2017, and especially 2018, I didn't even have high expectations going into those shows. And then they, they merely met them, or they were fine shows. I mean, I remember vividly driving home from work the night before Kobe World 2018, and even though I had done an audio preview and had written about it and, you know, this is my company, this is the thing that I care about, and this was their biggest show of the year, kind of just shrugging off the fact that World was the next day. And I looked at it more as an assignment rather than a a uh, privilege to get to watch it, whereas this year uh, we really ramped up our coverage uh, in part due to the English commentary that was going to be available for the show, but also just because we were so excited for this show And it seemed like every match that we had realistic expectations for, uh, they either met those or far surpassed them. And it was just fun to watch. This was one of those rare instances where I think just enough people were watching live in our bubble and discussing the show that I not only have memories of the show, but I have memories of the discourse that was going around during the show. And in this small niche hobby that is rare and it is enjoyable when the discourse is, was as fun as it was on that night.
1: I think that it, you brought it up. We should get into it. I know that it has been publicized. I was never planning on doing this. We did assist a little bit to help prep both uh, Rich Puccini and Larry Dallas for the show. But they, as Joe has said before, we could do all the prep. We could, it was for them to perform. And I'm not saying this, like my bias is out there my thing out there this was probably the best first effort for a english commentary from a japanese promotion that i have ever seen would you agree yeah, with me
0: or, was, would, or a, my
1: was hyperbolic a,
0: no it was a best case scenario and again to just be forward about this and to be honest with what occurred you know mike and i were asked uh by someone within our website who was approached from or by larry dallas to compile notes and research and help them out with a primer set. And that's that's what we did. We just let them know here's the here's the guys, here's their moves, here's bullet points of what you should know about them. And I, you know, I feel like I can speak for Mike here where we feel like we did a good job compiling those notes and felt like if they took those and studied them that they would be prepared for the event. But that knowledge only does so well and you do have to perform. And I can say without any bias that I thought Larry Dallas and Rich Bocini were really, really good for first-time English commentators commentate, commentating a product that I just can't imagine is easy because you've got so many guys, so many moves, so many different things happening, and they were parachuted into the most important show in the company's history. And throughout the show, there were just little things they were hitting on that I was, you know, wondering to see if they were going to mention this or was wondering if they noticed that. And it seemed like each time one of those what-ifs came up, They seem to tackle it in an appropriate way. And so for me, the English commentary was a home run. I was actually stunned at how good it was.
1: Yeah, and I think that within the company, they were very pleased with how it turned out. We don't have specifics, but it does seem like that there would be some form of English commentary going forward. I don't think, at least at this point, it's going to be like how Kevin Kelly basically lives in Japan now, but it does seem like that. You know, throughout the rest of the year, I I think you could look at the big shows and I think it's reasonable to expect that, but I feel like that they hit the big moments and let's call a spade a spade here. Probably the most difficult match in wrestling to call is the Dragon Gate three-way matches and there were two of them on this show. And for someone like Rich Pacini, who is a trained broadcaster, he of course was in the WWE system. He's done other sports broadcasting and is now with MLW. I felt like for someone in that role, He handled it exceptionally well and fed to someone like Larry Dallas, who loves the promotion, has been a part of a Dragon Gate affiliate promotion off and on for pretty much his entire career. I feel like that he played that role exceptionally well. And these two guys handled what was an incredibly hard task at hand. And at at a level that I openly said that they did the Western fans proud, like even for someone like myself, who's been a Dragon Gate fan now for close to 13 years, they knocked it out of the park.
0: Yeah, I completely agree, and I thought they handled themselves uh, very well, both in the booth and then outside. I mean, you know, Larry Dallas is Larry Dallas, and when he does a good job, he will let you know. But I was happy to see just the company being represented in such a positive manner throughout the weekend, where it seemed like Larry and Rich really took their job seriously and then delivered on you know the expectations of. I I wasn't worried. Um, as to whether or not I would enjoy the English commentary because I knew it wasn't for me. I was afraid that the English commentary might detract from the event. And as it turned out, not only did I enjoy it, but I really think it added to a few matches of just a different experience because other than obviously the Dragon Gate USA catalog, the only times that I had seen Dragon Gate proper matches with English commentary were bonus matches that were included on Dragon Gate USA DVDs in the first year that the company existed where they would throw on you know, a random Dreamgate match or a random tag team match. And then Lenny Leonard would do commentary over it, but they would have Lenny do it in a booth in Florida and it clearly sounded like he wasn't in the arena. It was kind of mixed poorly, and so you didn't really get a good atmosphere for it. So even... For me, someone who has watched hours and hours of content and has seen a lot of Dragon in my time, I had seen very, very little of it in English. And it was kind of refreshing to hear the the product called with different voices. And those voices were a positive in this instance.
1: Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, they did little things also where they had someone there do the translations for them for the big microphone segments, which, of course, in Dragon Gate is such a huge thing, and I felt that that was something that was essential, especially for, you know, Bing K's big post-match speech, for Dragon Kid and Masato Yoshino addressing Ultimo Dragon. I feel like that these were times that you had to have that, and I think Dragon Gate knew what they were getting into with this. And in doing this, they put their best foot forward, and I feel like delivered expectations that we could think, okay, it's reasonable for me that... When I watched the show live, I watched it all of English because I would, just in case, you know, if there was something that came up that I could just, like, shoot a DM to them and say, okay, here's something like this. But talking to people who, like, didn't watch it live, they thought that the English commentary was great, too. And I've had more people reach out to me over the last week saying, hey, the English commentary brought me into the promotion. How else can I get into it? And, you know, for a promotion like Dragon Gate, that's something because usually when people do that it's it's either the joe lanza just dive in a a, a way this that's the best way to do it but now you could actually direct to say okay here's this here's that this is what we can expect to go forward and i've never really had that much confidence about dragon gate appealing to the english fan base going forward and you know if to call a spade a spade this is something that wouldn't have happened 12 months ago or 14 months ago more specifically and I have to say that I think that a lot of decisions that they made this year have paid off. And I mean, just look at the fact that for how Dragon Gate sets up Kobe World, Kenan Hall, they basically had a sellout. And that's something that I would have not came close to expecting after last year's Kobe World.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I'm happy with the direction that the company is headed towards. I'm happy with the changes that have been made this year. And I don't know about you, but I think I'm ready to talk about this show in a big picture sense.
1: Yeah, let's get into it it's been a week since the show was going on. So there's enough coverage and a case has his written review. We're just going to kind of talk broad strokes about the promotion. And to me, there's really two big points to hit on first and first things first, the ascension of Bing K as the ace of the new generation case. How do you feel that this got pulled off?
0: I'm a huge fan of this match. I think partially because it was just worked in a style that I, I'm not really used to which I've now said about, I think, every Pac defense during his phenomenal Open the Dreamgate reign was every match was just a little different, and just there were little things in in this match, in the Shun Skywalker match, in the Dragon Kid match, where it's just like, oh my god, Pac is at the top of his game right now, and I kind of wish wrestling would... uh, be more on Pac's wavelength of taking himself seriously and taking their work seriously. I think wrestling would be better off for it. But for as good as Pac was in this match, he never outshined Ben K. I don't I didn't see any hand holding or great assisting of Pac with Ben K in this match. I thought Ben K held his own and I thought by the end of this with the two Ben K bombs we were fully on board with a new ace in the company, with someone that can lead the company forward. And I'm thrilled with the way it turned out. I've said, uh, I said it on audio. I've written about it. It didn't take a genius to figure out that Ben K was going to be this guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy that it really seems like the big picture moments, uh, the challenge against Mochizuki last March, falling short against Yoshino in November, his undefeated King of Gate run, and now this match, they really nailed the big points, and it's really exciting to see that sort of thing happen because good booking is scarce right now in wrestling, and, and I think Dragon Gate really nailed it with Ben Kay.
1: Yeah, and the way that this match was laid out and the way that they did it was very reminiscent to the King of Gate Finals match, but you kind of plugged in Ada, for, or you plugged in Pac for Ada, but it had enough of Pox flourishes and Pox touches that... You know, it was a match that went 26 minutes long, and I only truly noticed that it was going so long when I started hearing the 20-minute call, which is something that for a Dreamgate match, especially in this era of Dragon Gate, you usually are looking at your watch at about the 10-minute mark when Yamato's in his, like, fifth string of bad chain wrestling. But I feel like that Pac did a lot during this reign to set this promotion up for further success. It's not really known how much longer he is going to be treating Dragon Gate as his home. There's the whole thing about the creative thing with uh, AEW. I've been on the record here and then and on the other podcast, Everything Elite. I don't think it's that. I think that, I, t- take, a, take a look at what the issue of 2019 is, guys. Come on. But Pac did an exceptional job during this reign. Each match, as you said, was completely different. And just like the moments from like the fact that They managed to get accidental blood in on the match. And by the end of the match, you had like this gash on Ben Kay's under his eye that was really added something to it. And again, to go back to Larry Dallas and Rich Puccini, they did a great job of mentioning, like, hey, it's lucky that he got this gash here rather than above the eyebrow because then you'd have blood getting into the eye. And I thought that was a nice touch. But this was exceptional. The crowd reaction was what you would want to have. Like, I think that was the two things. I think that was the big thing that both of us kind of were like, "Oh God, how is this going to go with him? How is this going to get pulled off?" Just because we've seen enough moments in Dragon Gate history where these these budding aces they win the title and then it feels completely deflating. But at least in my opinion, I felt like that Benkei when he when he hit the second Benkei bomb and he won and he fell back in exhaustion. The crowd in Kobe was inc- incredibly receptive to it, and especially like post match, post promo everyone was rushing the ring to get a photo with him. And that to me was like the cherry on top of the cake, just saying, okay, they knocked it out of the park with him. Did you have the same kind of feeling or what were your overall impressions about Binkei as an ace going forward? Yeah,
0: I I got that vibe. And I think if you look at some of the prior, and I, I use this with almost air quotes of these ace coronation Kobe World Dreamgate matches, which I think you can point to Naruki Doi versus Shima in 2009. I think you can point to Shima versus Shingo Takagi in 2013, and then Yamato versus Shingo in 2016. Those are matches where you had that opening 10, 15, in the case of Shima versus Shingo, maybe opening 20 minutes, where it's like, all right, guys, like, big match. I I know we're grappling, we're telling stories, but like, let's get to it. And this match never really had that vibe. And with the exception of maybe the Yamato versus Shingo match, which I think that match is almost perfect, I just think it's the next 13 months that I struggle with uh, <laughs> with that Yamato raid. but it just seemed like this ben K reign just got off on on the perfect foot, and Pac was the perfect guy to to lose this match. He's he's protected himself and he's protected the company so well. And I want to know from you, and I I think there's a way to phrase this where Pac is not even really full time with Dragon Gate now, and when or if he commits to all Elite Wrestling. He will more than likely, uh, the bulk of his schedule, be with them. Do you think this is the last we see of Pac in a Dragon Gate ring? Or do you think he has more on the horizon in the company?
1: Boy, that's a loaded question.
0: (laughs) I just... Well, I'll say this. it Just... I said from the moment he came back or when he was at least you know, released from WWE that I never bought the idea that he was going to waltz into New Japan, although he has the talent to and the credibility mm-hmm. to. I always felt like Dragon Gate was his home, and even though we've had this amazing title reign that lasted eight months and he had these five great matches, I still don't feel like this is the end of the line for him, and I think maybe his bridge into another company if he wants to will be best of the super juniors time next year but i'm not i'm still not convinced that Pac was using drangate as a stepping stone to get elsewhere i if if i was in control of his career he would be doing drangate tours when he's wrestling or working british indies but i don't get the sense that he's leaving anytime soon i could be wrong you know uh, the Super Jacobs in, in, the, in America this year, maybe Pac lands there and then does all the lead and whatever else, but I've never gotten that vibe, and I think if you know anything about his personality and the way he feels about this company and the way that he's acted in the past year since becoming champion, to me, it's it's not obvious that he's staying, but I would be very surprised if his next move in Japan is with a different company.
1: Yeah, I completely co-sign with that. Uh, you did break up a little bit when you're talking about how long you wanted him to stay with Dragon Gate. So, just if you wanted to just re-mention what you said there,
0: I just, I just, uh, I don't think he's leaving anytime soon. I don't have a timetable on yeah. when I think he should exit. I think his his bridge, if he does, if he chooses to do so, is best of the Super Juniors time next year, uh, which he's competed in before in 2012, and that's partially what got him his job with WWE. But I don't look at this as a short-term endeavor for him, and uh, I'm not surprised that so many people think it's just a a stepping stone to somewhere else, but I think they should think about who this is and what this company means to Pac, and I would expect him to to see him in Dragon Gate going forward.
1: Yeah, I co-sign with all of that. The one thing that I could see is him maybe making more time around the UK, especially if my suspicion is right about Visa difficulties. I can see him just doing a lot of stuff like that. I do think that him in this reign that was both kind of ace and both kind of transition at the same time, I don't know what his immediate future is in Dragon Gate, especially with now that Ada and Big R Shimizu are Twin Gate champions. But at the same time, I feel like that with Pac, there is so much that you still have on the table with him. I don't think it's something that could be happened this year or next year, but I feel like that there is potential in him going face and reuniting with Dragon Kid. Of course we talked about the PK one tag team and then also reuniting with Doyoshi. I mean, those three guys were a big nucleus of the company in 2009 through 2012 before he left and both the iterations of world one. So I think there's a lot left for him to do. Is just also how his schedule will be to see what exactly happens with this whole AEW situation slash visa situation. I've never really seen him as someone who wanted to go to new Japan or saw this as like a stepping stone to new Japan. And I think a lot like Ricochet where Ricochet made a point that after he finished up in new Japan, he waited a month and came back and he wanted to say farewell to dragon gate. So I felt like the, that for him there's a I wouldn't say it's an obligation, but it's a viewing of a promotion as their home. And I feel like that for him at least, Dragon Gate is his home. There's been a lot of kind of tweets about this. There's a lot about like his history with Dragon Gate. And then I know there was an episode of Art of Wrestling where he talks about how much Dragon Gate helped him move forward as a person. And I just don't think there's much escaping that. So no,
0: not at all. And and on the flip side, now you've got Ben Kay who We know unless the wrestling world changes as we know it completely, he's going to be there for the long term, and he's got a laundry list of competitors that are a win away or a promo away from challenging for the Open the Dream Gate, and it's going to be so interesting to see how this reign starts and then how long this reign occurs. I know I had floated the idea out to you privately a few weeks ago, or maybe even last week, that you know, we're not totally sure who who is next in line, but the idea of Ben Kay kind of duplicating that 2013 Shingo Takagi reign where Shingo ended this epic Shima title title reign at Kobe World and then lost in his first defense. I don't see that happening with Ben K, but it also weirdly wouldn't surprise me if it did. I I think a lot of that depends on who his first challenger is, and mm-hmm. maybe now's the time to speculate on that. I'm afraid that when you look at the upcoming schedule and you, you have the announcement that Ultimo Dragon is returning to the company uh, for the August Corken and Hall show as well as Dangerous Gate, which if I can find a date on that, that would be phenomenal. Dangerous Gate is August 24th, so you've got two Ultimo Dragon dates in August. I'm afraid that we're going to get a Ben Benkei versus Takashi Yoshida open the Dreamgate match at Dangerous Gate with Ultimo Dragon doing something in the main event, do you? Am I crazy for that, or does that seem like a realistic possibility?
1: It's something that I would be lying if I said that that thought hasn't crossed my mind. You know, that like that's like my worst case scenario in a lot of ways. And I know that Yoshida is a controversial person amongst Western fans. Some people have this unrealistic view of the guy, whereas I feel like the two of us are like, okay, he's fine in his role, but we don't need. To have any more rehashes of his Dreamgate title defense or title attempts up, I, I think with this kind of plays into Ultimo as well, as you said. We don't know what Ultimo Dragon's going to be doing on August 7th in Cork and, or on August 24th at Oda Ward Gymnasium for Dangerous Escape. But at the same time, there's only so much they can really do with the nostalgia stuff. And it makes me wonder of what. Would it surprise you if they did like this eight-man tag in the main event where they decided to mix up the generations and have Ultimo and his nephew, Kisuke Okuda, on on a team and maybe toss in Binke and Shin Skywalker going against the true born generations there so you'd have Doi Yoshi and Yama Hulk? Like, there's a lot of ways to go here, so I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't have a defense coming up. Just because and, I, of, and
0: I would be okay with that. I think that is a much better idea than trotting share at Dangerous Gate. I don't know if that's your worst case scenario, removing Ultimo Dragon from the picture. Do you have a best case scenario for his first offense?
1: Well, my best case scenario is my dream world scenario, and that's him versus Sumiyokoska.
0: <laughs> well, that would be that would be phenomenal. Um, yeah, but unfortunately, uh, I think he, he owns the Brave Gate title. I don't know if that's going to happen. But I mean, fantasy booking if we're throwing a, the throwing that in T W or E W R. Uh, I'll take that.
1: Yeah, but so like that's my absolute fantasy upon fantasy booking. But realistically, I just like look up and down the show, and knowing the kind of show that they had there at Dangerous Gate historically, you know, I wouldn't. Doi is someone that's always on the precipice, and he's seen as Mister Oda City Gymnasium. So I couldn't be. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a first offense there. I feel like that that would be a smart one because the way I look at it, and it's kind of the way that I looked at Kobe world was you have Ultimo there. It doesn't really matter what the rest of the card is. And it was proved right by Kobe world. Cause I know how many times I've said that to you case was, Oh, they have Ultimo there. It's going to be fine.
0: Yeah. It doesn't matter. You could, I mean, the rumored main event was Pac versus Ato for a while. Mm-hmm. And that was when Ultimo wasn't confirmed, but we had heard there were talks there and we go, well, Hawk vs. Ata doesn't sound good, but it doesn't really matter because Ultimo's on the show.
1: Right. So there's a lot of options, I feel like. And, you know, the one person that, because there's a little bit of a scuttlebutt of relationship being built up there, now we're, we're in a place that they, that WWE has met with Dragon Gate a couple times now. Could you see Tozawa come back in that role? Because that seems like a kind of thing that you could just shoot off at your hip. It's going to be a one-time match. Who knows when Tozawa's ever going to be back permanently. So why not get your guy over there as well?
0: I don't see any scenario where Tozawa and Ben K are in the same ring together unless Akira Tozawa is back in the company full-time, which, and I don't mm-hmm. think I'm speaking out of line here, may be a possibility by the end of 2019, by no means confirmed. Uh, But we have speculated for a long time that the original cruiserweight deals were for three years starting in October 2016 and it will be October 2019 shortly and While we don't know anything it wouldn't shock either of us Mm -hmm. if Akira Tozawa came back to the company full-time and I think then by all means you have Ben K versus Akira Tozawa as a story you can run with with multiple variations with multiple stories intertwined but I don't see Tozawa. I don't see Tozawa coming back to Dragon Gate unless it is him wrestling there full time.
1: That's fair. That was just something that just kind of popped in my head that I wanted to flow out throughout there. But it's going to be interesting, at least for this next month. There's a bunch of shows. They have a rare double shot in Fukuoka. They have a. Uh, sh- they, they have the Korkin that we've mentioned. They're actually having the uh, Naruki Toy homecoming match in Nara, which is something that for me personally. I'm super excited for. And then their usual stops before they get to Oda gymnasium. It's going to be for those who just signed up for Draengate network, you're going to be getting a lot of shows over the next month. And it's probably worth saying that I know that the Twitter account mentioned this, all these shows stay up for approximately seven days and then they're taken down and put back up after they are done airing on their cable network, gay or TV. So just wanted to get that out there. Cause I've had people ask me that. That's going to be the deal, but it's going to be interesting to see how they set up these two cards now that it's so heavy loaded. I mean, this was a show that had the specter of Ultimo Dragon all over it, and it's probably something worth getting into right now because he's going to be a, a big fixture on these shows in August. So Case, how bizarre and at the same time awesome in the literal, literal definition of being contained with awe was Ultimo Dragon making his first ever appearance in Dragon Gate, 15 years, two weeks, and three days after the end of Toriman Japan.
0: It was surreal, and it was something that when Gate announced in December that they were doing 20th anniversary celebration matches, that was the first time that I had ever realistically considered the idea of Ultimo coming back. And even then, it was something that I merely toyed with, thought about, and thought, eh, that's probably not going to happen and you flash forward to july and you have the biggest show in the company's history and it's built around altimo making his debut and you know i'm someone who only has so much perspective on it i started following the company a decade after they split from altimo i was not there in real time but you know i i i know what i know and i can you know understand the drama that built up to it and everything that came out of it but seeing him come down the ramp and seeing him tagging with Dragon Kid and Masato Yoshino, who just seemed thrilled to be in there. They cut to Genki Horoguchi on the commentator's table, who's bawling, which struck a chord with me that I wasn't expecting. Like It's just an image that just really, in a very human way, just touched me. I, I thought it was a beautiful moment in what is a, an ugly hobby, sport, profession, whatever you want to describe it as. And this was just a very nice moment, and I'm glad we got it. And, you know, there are certain things that have been sacrificed along the way. We no longer have Shima in the company. Shima was nowhere to be found on this show. He was scrubbed out of video packages, and it's a shame that L. Lindemann is probably never going to wrestle for the Open the Dream Gate title, or that T-Hawk is never going to find the confidence to lead this company the way that they wanted them to. And it's a shame that all of those things got sacrificed, But in return, we got Ultimo Dragon. And I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm just saying that this was a very cool moment. And I'm glad I was able to cover it and experience it.
1: Yeah. And I'm not. With this happening with Ultimo, there's only one person I think will never come back to Dragon Gate, and that's Taru. Like that. Just as a (laughs) side. Yeah, that's that's not going to (laughs) happen. That's never going to happen. But. Seeing, like, how there was a literal scrubbing of Shima from the show and no mentions of anything of Strong Hearts while they were in Osaka the same day on a Big Japan show that... I know that uh, the flagship talked about it, but you have to think that after a while, we're going to see the truth of how much uh, friction there is between the two parties and because there's only going to be so many more places for Strong Hearts to pop up in. But getting back to Ultimo, it's just having Ultimo first show up at a core and that was not incredibly well-received, at least locally, like, like the, the the crowd was kind of a little struck by it. And it's just something that uh I can't even uh, like express, like how weird a response that was to how it was in Kobe, which sadly we had separados muted for obvious reasons, but just like the reception and everyone there, it just was a moment of, I, I guess finality may be a conclusion in a way of how the last 15 years have gone with these two sides and how Ultimo ended up kind of doing his own thing. He did produce some talent. I mean, we can't ignore the fact that Ultimo being away probably meant that if Ultimo was in Torimon or that still happened, who knows if Kazuchiko Okada ends up in Torimon, in Mexico. Like we, who knows what happened there, but it's just such a moment. And of course, have that they knew what they were doing when they said, "Hey, Ginky, you're commentating this match because there is no person who is so secure in their emotions than to ugly cry on screen for a good 25 minutes like Ginky Horiguchi. Am I wrong about that? Like, no, it
0: was it was perfect booking, casting, directing, whatever you want to call it. It worked.
1: It's just something that coming back to it, and I didn't think I would say this, but I had a four star match for Takuya Sugawara in 2019. Okay. Well, you
0: say that, but I mean, it's this—it's a four-star match for Ultimo Dragon as well. Mm-hmm. With, you know, another part of compiling notes for the English commentators, we put in match recommendations for basically everybody. I mean, everybody that's a full-time roster member. Um, I think I had a Drastic Boy recommendation there. We did not have one for Jimmy, unfortunately, just because we don't follow DTU that well. But we asked around for all, a recent Ultimo Dragon match recommendations, and the response back was LOL. I mean, it was people were like, no, nah, come on. Like, wh- he's not doing anything. you know, you're certainly not going to find anything in this most recent all Japan run. I saw Altimo in person uh, almost two years ago, have a three and a quarter star match mm-hmm. on LaSalle, Illinois. But there was, there was no just excitement about Altimo's in ring. I mean, he was someone that was truly living off of a legacy at this point, which I don't right. blame him, but it's just the reality of it and for one night this was like true generational warfare in the sense that you had in like a turn back the clock kind of way where you had dragon kid and shuji kondo teasing their their neck breaking spot from world 2004 and they they've got great chemistry you've got Yoshino and mochizuki added, who are just two of the best wrestlers ever and then you've got ultimo who just looked good and looked happy and you had that great spot where sugawara uh countered the acai moonsault and the crowd booed and there was this real this real heat to it everything about this match worked on a level that i was never expecting but there was a sense of closure to it and it was a truly truly good feel good moment and and it was awesome to see i never imagined this match would have come across as well as it did
1: oh yeah and everyone played the part and You know, Suji Kondo is just a guy that whenever, like, the one person that came back that I was like, I want him back now every week has been Suji Kondo just because of, there has been cases of this 20th anniversary that some guys were just completely, you know, they, they were playing the hits, like, I think it's fair to say, but Kondo came at full blast and having Kondo and Dragon Kid, which was the big last story mo- line in Torimon, Japan in this match and just reenacting like Kondo hitting the original and just like pretty much power slamming him through the ring was so nice to see. And I mean, Masato Yoshino who age has not, has caught up with him in some ways, but this was a day that he was willing to turn the clock back and give one of the most dangerous-looking Tope suicidas I've ever seen, and it was incredible. And it just like the the, the only thing that like I can describe this match was I I got a warm feeling from this match, and you don't often get warm feelings in wrestling, but this made you feel like that there was resolution that everyone genuinely grew from being teenagers. I mean, Shima when he debuted in Mon, Mexico was 18 years old, so this was 22 years later for him, but for some of these guys that, I mean, Gigi or Gucci was basically straight out of high school when he went there. And now he they've had these 15 years of history that they were all able to grow up. And then now we have Ultimo dragon back the principal of the, the dragon system back in the ring. And it's just, I just came away with this with, with like a nice warm nostalgia feeling that you don't get often in wrestling. And it was so nice to have. Absolutely. The That Wars were kind of the, the big moments of the show were, of course, around Ben K and Ultimo. I'd be remiss if we did not get a chance to talk about the surprise match on the show because the week of the show, we were putting together our preview for Voices of Wrestling and everyone kind of noticed that there were some people who were missing from the showcase. And little did we know that we would get, I think on Wednesday, on Wednesday, announced a special singles match between KZ and Shin Skywalker. And this was a match that lived up to every expectation in my mind and left me wanting more. And we had probably the coolest entrance in wrestling this year with KZ. How did you feel about like this whole entire process of wondering what was going on to now having this huge match that they went all out? And now we have a whole new future for both those guys going forward.
0: This is another one of those... I mean, Again, we talk about this as being one of the best shows in the company's history, which to me, by proxy, means one of the best shows in wrestling history. And it's because of matches like this where you just had the full Major League presentation with the dancing and the KZ entrance and then shooting Skywalker has transformed himself into one of my favorite wrestlers in the world to watch just because I know I'm getting 110% from him every time. And this match... Uh, made me think of an interaction I had with Mike Seidel a few weeks ago. I reached out to Mike because I knew he was in the dojo in the summer of 2015, which is when Ben K would have been in there. And I and I talked to Mike, and Mike, uh, I, I only name dropped because he was so kind and, and so entertaining to talk to about his time in Dragon Gate. And I, I'm really thankful that he uh, spent some time to just answer some questions that I had about the company that no one had really been able to answer for me before. Uh, But one of the things I asked Mike was, you know, what do you think, are there any misconceptions that American fans might have about Dragon Gate? And, you know, he said, in a sense, you know, one thing I learned about Dragon Gate from being there is that these guys are totally committed to an elite standard of excellence on every level. They live and breathe Dragon Gate. And that's, you know, that's a quote from Mike Seidel, and I thought that quote was perfectly exemplified in this match between KZ and Shu and Skywalker where everything they did from the strikes to the dives to the finish the entrance everything in between was just done with a level of perfection that is seen nowhere else in professional wrestling bar a a big new japan main event or the WWE of yesteryear when they at least had an idea that they knew what they were doing <laughs> and this is you know and, and you know it's my my own deal but this was just a match that It just worked. It was just so good. Shame that so many people turn a blind eye to Drangate or choose to ignore it or choose to think about the product in a way that if they were watching it, they would learn that it's just simply true because this is the kind of action you get. And this will will go down as a match that we'll remember forever because there's no good comparison of the last time that Drangate had a singles match between two big stars on the card – where the goal of the match was to have the best match possible. Dragon Gate has great wrestlers, and they have great matches, but they never have great wrestlers having great matches for that sole purpose. And this was that, and it was awesome to see. You know,
1: the uh, only time that I could think of of a match where there was just a straight singles match that was this special, and we talked about this earlier, was on that 2011 Kobe World where it was Shingo versus Tozawa. Like, they don't have these kind of matches on the show. And when, when you have a show that's nine matches long like this, you get a match like this, and it was so special to see. And it just was unique in a lot of ways. You don't necessarily see at Dragon Gate to do something this special. And I keep on going back to the word special about this, but I truly believe that this was a special match, that this is a match that you know how they do with all their great uh, videos that they have, that we're going to probably see this match. Clipped up for like the next five to 10 years, especially as Shun Skywalker continues his elevation up the card. And, you know, I came out of this match thinking, and I came out of a couple of these matches with KZ this year thinking that he is my most outstanding wrestler in the world this year. And I don't think
0: it's tough to beat that. I mean, just off this match and the POC match alone, there are very few people that have peaked as high as him.
1: And and here's the thing with the exception of that POC match, I can name like three other great KZ matches where he performed at this level, they left things on the table because he knew that he could come back and have a better match with Binke. Like, I don't think this was the best KZ-Shun Skywalker match, but for 13 minutes, it was an exceptional KZ and shun Skywalker match, you know? So it was, it was something special and incredible. And it was... A very nice surprise, and we got a great entrance. And you know, Susumi Yokosuka was able to sit this one out, which probably was a 20th anniversary present to himself in a lot of ways. They didn't have to dance out there, but it was just such a nice match to have. Uh, were there any other big matches on the show you wanted to touch on?
0: The only other thing that I wanted to mention was the uh, the opener, which was uh, a cluster fest of eight guys, but it, it involved Kaisuke Okuda who just continues to impress me. Because when he first came into the company, he's this guy who's wrestled on the Anoki IGF shows and had done some shooter stuff in DDT. And all I really knew about him was that he was friends with Ben K and that the people that had watched him were excited, albeit a little confused as to why he was wrestling in Dragon Gate. And his luster has gone from, here's this cool guy doing MMA moves in Dragon Gate, which we don't really see, so it's cool, to now... He is a member of the uh, Mochizuki Dojo, which I think uh, says a lot about where he'll be working, at least for the extended future, that it looks like he'll be staying in this company. But everything he does is entertaining to me now. And his house show matches are now must-watch to me. Everything that Akuda does in Drangate from here on out, and I I watch almost every match. Uh, Mike is a completist who will torture himself (laughs) watching these bad Takashi Yoshida, uh, Kobe Sambo Hall seven-minute matches that are just bad. Nobody wants to watch them. Mike's going to watch those. If I see a house show that I'm not watching live, I take a look at that match listing. I can pretty much tell I'm going to be skipping matches one through three just on a gut feeling. I've watched enough Dragon Gate to know, eh, these aren't really worth my time, and they aren't worth anybody's time. But if Akuta's in there now, I have to watch it because he is just different and is special we keep on throwing that word around there and it's not that we're these fanboys for the company i mean we've come on the show and talked about how unhappy we are i stopped doing this show for a long time because i was so unhappy with the product and i didn't want to spend two hours talking about how much i didn't like the way things were going on but this was a show where it just seemed like everything added up everything worked and now we've got this kaisuke akuda guy who just is a breath of fresh air in a company that already feels fresh and i just wanted to throw him out there as just someone to keep your eyes on, because we've got all this great movement at the top of the card with Pac and Ata and Ben Kay and Shun Skywalker. But underneath, there's some talent there, and it's just exciting, and it's nice to feel this way about Dragon Gate after we went really 18 months of kind of bouncing between uh, hopeful and bleakness and misery and you know, kind of some forced joy at times to now have a top-to-bottom show. That was this good. It was awesome to see.
1: Yeah, and someone like Okuda, who like he he did a a top rope triangle in this match. That was just my
0: favorite move. It's I, I. That's the. That's why I brought him up. Was it's this top rope triangle that like. It, it's going to kill somebody. I mean, it's so dangerous, but it looks so awesome, and I hope he continues to do it.
1: The one person I hope never takes that move is poor UT with his collarbone the way oh, it is. Oh, my
0: goodness. And, and UT will do it, and he'll purposely land on his neck. I mean, it's th- th- you know what? That's my new most anticipated <laughs> match. If we can get Kaisuke Okuda versus UT on a blood sports show... Uh, uh, to quote George Costanza, "I am down."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just love like you're. We're talking a little bit about the uh, undercard. Like when you bring up Okuda, he already has storylines with Hiowa Nabe not being happy with him joining the dojo, and both and the fact that Okuda lost his match because it, because Dragon Daya ate the Hakaru No Wa because that was what was going to happen in that match. Let's be honest, but Hyo Nabe was able to defeat a returning BB Hulk and a uh, natural vibes team. And now you have like this innate storyline that we're getting some friction in this group. And you have Hiyo Watanabe who's, I know that I am the Hiyo Watanabe fanboy I wear that very proudly, but I feel like that this is a guy who had a couple of wilderness years and he's getting it together now. And that just that match is salivating to me just to see what could happen there. And then you also have things where what might happen with like, Susumi Yokosuka, who I talked earlier about how KZ is my most uh, is is my most outstanding wrestler. Susumu had a week this year where he had exceptional matches with UT, Ada, and Yuki Yoshioka. What happens when these younger guys try to go for the break eight now that's held by Susumi Yokosuka? I'm so excited by these possibilities. And, you know, you're you, you right. Like there were times that sadly this show was kind of like a misery circle where we all were going like, well, this happened and we had to sit through more of Shingo Takagi and Ryo Saito or or Ada and Dragon Kid, but this is a show that my suspicions were, okay, I can trust the majority of the upper card to be what I expected to be. I mean, the Twin Gate match, we haven't even really gotten into the Twin Gate match, but the Twin Gate match was going to be exceptional. The Dreamgate match, you know, I was confident that Pac at the very least could help guide K along. But there were like these two matches that I was very skeptical about. And it was the Triangle Gate and the uh, six-man ultimo match. And both of those matches, for what they were, they way overachieved what they were. And I just come away from the show just thinking, okay, this is a company with some aging stars. Let's not be around the bush here. We have a lot of these wrestlers who are now in their 40s looking and some of them are looking down the barrel 50. But for the first time in about five years, and actually for the first time really since the, the big uh, rookies versus veterans match from December 1st, 2016, which I talk about, I feel like every chance I get it, I, I get an opportunity to, it feels like that up and down the, the show, you, I look at people on, in this promotion, I'm like, okay, I'm excited to see what would happen if, what if DTU Jimmy sticks around? What can he get up to? jason lee has been so great on the on the lower card for so long what happens if he gets another brave gate shot and it's just going up and down this this show and i'm just get so excited about what the rest of 2019 can be for this company because i don't really like playing this label on it because like i've been burnt so many times before but this is a company that finally has some significant significant momentum and with some of the goals that they've that they've now publicly stated for the future this is the time for them to have this momentum, and I'm excited to see like what this loaded August and September show as we're really getting into the hot season for Dragon gates here
0: well let's let's mention what what you just hinted at there uh you know we're about an hour <laughs> into the show uh, you know we, we didn't want to go super long, but we kind of wanted to look towards the future of the company a little right. bit. Will you at least say what was rumored or what was out there that we could discuss the uh, the implausibility of that
1: okay, so. On the 22nd, I want to say, but it it was soon after Kobe World, Dragon Gate Entertainment President Toru Kido had an interview with Tokyo Sports stating that with the successes of this year, his goal was by the end of his presidential term, which is apparently lasting until 2024, he wants to run the Sierra Dome in Osaka, 50,000 seats. And... Originally, we both of us—I I think it's fair to say—we were skeptical of it. Case we were skeptical, but it's been covered by other press outlets that this is realistically. And the words he uses—he wants to make the uh, Russell Kingdom of Western Japan, and he wants to have this happen in Dragon Gate. So, uh, your initial thoughts of this pretty bold statement—the
0: idea that is insane. Uh, Dragon Gate should, insane. should not run the Osaka Dome, and I. I love them. I love the Osaka crowd. I love the idea that they are going for the Wrestle Kingdom of Western Japan. I think that is a, a noble idea that should be explored upon. I don't think they should run the Osaka Dome. Um, the, the biggest Osaka Dome show that I'm aware of is the May 3rd, 1997 show, uh, which has the Shinya Hashimoto versus Naoya Ogawa uh, TKO main event. Um New Japan claims fifty-three thousand for that show. I'm going to disagree because it is a New Japan show from the '90s, and those <laughs> attendance numbers are incorrect. Um, but even then, I, this isn't realistic. But the fact that it's been picked up by more than one news outlet at least shows that there's some smoke to the fire. And I think it should be mentioned that you know maybe Dragon Gate really wants to go big, and maybe with Ultimo, you know, it's going to be diminishing returns each time but he's now a special attraction draw that they have that they previously did not have unless you wanted to count the legends that were in the stock reach Company matches. They've never really had somebody they can go to on a part-time basis and say, can you help us pop this house? Can you help us do a number here? And maybe that's Ultimo's role in the future. I just don't see that as the Osaka dome, no matter how popular Ben K gets, no matter how much shoot Skywalker catches on. I don't, see the osaka dome in their future at least i hope not
1: and it's worth saying that originally this was in tokyo sports that's often been used as a promoting angles newspaper it got picked up by yahoo so it's realistic and before this year about 2018 talking to people within the company there was the general idea of oh it's a 20th anniversary they were always going to do something big for the 20th anniversary this year it just so happens that ultimo was the answer and originally there were talks about not having to show up at canon world hall there were talks about trying to go for a bigger venue bigger venue wisely they decided no let's not go that route and it made it led me to look what big venues there are in hyogo which is the prefecture that kobe is based in and it's a pretty big jump there is no like budokan level buildings there is no osako joe hall so I feel like that. I'm confident to say that running the Kyocera Dome preposterous idea. And I think we're both on the same page there. But case, could you see somehow if the company continues to pick up steam that maybe they move Kobe World or the Pro Wrestling Festival to Osaka Joe in July's?
0: It's it's a concept that I'm not against. Um, I I would find it to be very odd because it is branded as you know Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival and. There's just something about that building that I think, whether it was intentional or not, they've that that building and Dragade has racked up a lot of cachet with me, and I now feel like oh, when you know, it it feels like a big show, and I like that there's it's a homecoming of sorts. So moving it to Osaka Joe Hall, which seats you know about twelve thousand, New Japan just drew eleven thousand nine hundred there for Dominion this past year or this past uh, July, um, it's realistic, I would say. I mean, from what we know, it wouldn't shock me if that news came out next spring that they're gonna move away from Kobe World Hall. But I also I don't think it's likely, but I'm okay with the idea of them trying these bigger shows and maybe opening up the doors a little bit to either more Western wrestlers, more native wrestlers that have maybe never been in the company. Um I don't think it's happening anytime soon, but at some point, even if it's 10 years down the line, you have to think there's a strong hearts invasion angle that's at play again. I wouldn't count on it for at least the next year, but crazier things have happened. I mean, we just saw Ultimo dragon wrestle in dragon gate, but I'm, I'm intrigued by the idea of bigger building expansion, just because if you follow dragon gate for any ex, ex, extended period of time, it's, Uh, Kobe Sambo Hall is the small Kobe arena. They run the five big shows in the same five arenas every year. Uh, You know, they moved from Hakata Star Lanes to a smaller Fukuoka building because they had to. But there is, other than their Sumo Hall attempt in 2010, there's never been any big change in the schedule since the five pay-per-view format was introduced. So I'm intrigued by them changing it up just because I'm intrigued by the shakeup. But I don't see even osaka Joe Hall happening unless they have an ace up their sleeve and they have something that they're going to test out or try out or they have some uh big angle that kind of transcends the dragon gate fan base that they can uh, you know attract the more mainstream pro wrestling fan in japan i don't see it happening but i'm open to the idea of it
1: no we mentioned that like they have had these five shows forever and then for newer fans because this might be your first episode if so hi feel free to tweet at either of us i feel like we're more than welcome to help you out with this when we talk about five shows they are dead or alive which is always in nagoya in may it's like usually around golden week so this year was on the sixth but it's around fifth or sixth uh kobe what we call kobe world its technical name is the kobe pro wrestling festival at kenan hall which is usually around the third or fourth week of July, then there is Dangerous Gate, which is usually at the tail end of oct of August in an Oda City gym. That's their biggest venue. They run in Tokyo. They are not a Tokyo company. They run their fourteen shows in Tokyo each year, and that's it. And then there is the the uh, there is Gate Destiny in Osaka Edion One, and then Final Gate at Fukuoka. Is it? I always get this wrong. It's Fukuoka Perfectorial Gym, right?
0: I believe so.
1: Yeah. And then there is a tier below that. And one of those shows is on the horizon. And the first ones of those are always the champion gate doubleheader at Osaka two in the beginning, at the end of February, beginning of March. And then at the end of of March, there is Memorial gate in Wakayama. It's kind of changed. It used to be a bot show for a local Wakayama TV station, but now they have these shows up there. And then most recently last year, we started to have the Sendai Sun Plaza shows, which is the Gate of Origin, which is around the 1st of September. But these shows usually are in venues that seat at most 3,000. Like, Sendai is not... Sendai Sun Plaza is not a big venue. I know that they kicked off the uh, New Japan Best the Super Juniors up in Sendai. So, they yeah, are... It's,
0: it's a B or C. Uh, it, with the current New Japan business, it's a mm. C town, quite honestly. Um, four or five years ago, it would have been their B shows, their the second biggest of a new beginning show. Um, So it's, it's something that Dragon Gate can fill um, with, with a proper main event and something strong underneath.
1: Yeah. So just to get a sense, Dragon Gate's the only company outside of New Japan that habitually runs these five venues that, I mean, no one else runs Kobe world hall. I mean, there are attempts at it and they're usually terrible. Fukuoka is New Japan and Dragon Gate. Same thing with Nagoya and Osaka, Edeon one gets run a bunch, but it's usually Dragon Gate and uh, New Japan are the only companies that come close to filling it. So well, so just to kind of put a bow on it, the fact that President Kido is saying this is really, it's a preposterous statement, but also shows a lot, I feel like of uh, intention and a lot of positivity in a company that 14 months ago, this would not be broached whatsoever.
0: No, it's I. You know, I'm trying to think of of ways to put a bow on this. You know, it's the 20th anniversary celebration, and and the more thoughts that come through my mind, it's like, well, you never know what's going to happen because you know, a year ago, Pac was was home and was trapped in a contract they didn't want to be in, mm-hmm. and Gate was just in this unfamiliar spot without Shima, and Lindemann was gone, and you know, a, a year ago at this time my focus was quite honestly more so on wrestle one than dragon gate because the initial strong hearts invasion and their first eight months touring the world was as excited uh, as i've been about a single wrestler or a group of wrestlers maybe ever i mean i voted shima wrestler of the year last year because i thought he was doing something so unique and so modern and it felt like dragon gate was a little behind the times And something flipped. I mean, Kobe World last year, I think, was kind of the start of this new generation where it's like, okay, this company's headed in the right direction. You know, we were like, oh, September was good. Oh, October was a lot of fun. Pox back, you know, here's this November show. It's a lot of fun. Final Gate was a good time. And then this year with the Rookie Rankings Tournament, uh, normally uh, a dull and and stale uh, January became the most exciting time that the promotions had in two years, basically – since January 2017, which was the start of the collapse with Masada Yoshino getting hurt and Takahiro Yamamura being injured. Um, we just had this hope ushered in, and it's hard to predict a year from now who's going to be on the roster. Is Pac going to be around? Are we going to have English commentary on a semi-regular basis? Can Shun Skywalker be open to Dreamgate champion? Is Shuji Kondo going to stick around? I mean, there are so many unanswered questions that i almost feel like it's less fun to look into the future and, and more fun to just live in the present and experience this Gate company that is changing you know they've even with without Ultimo you know Tor- Torimon and Gate were roughly the same companies i mean Draggate runs less shows and the wrestlers make more money which is why Ultimo was ousted in the first place but it, not a ton has changed from the structure and the core of the company in 20 years and it feels like some things have been shaken up and it's just exciting and it's fun and i i've really enjoyed the past month covering the company with mike and talking to new fans and hearing from people that i i had lost contact with just because of, of my viewing and communication habits you know, there are people that i've interacted with on twitter that i hadn't talked to in a long time and it's great because this is dragon gate and it's when it's good there is nothing better
1: and I think that's probably as good of a bow as either of them can put either of us can put on this, but I'd be remiss if we before we go not talk a little bit about the end of iHeart DG. Because as someone who's been a Dragon Gate fan now my entire adult life, and as someone for you who's been covering Dragon Gate extensively over the last few years. Lou, this was a very unique website. Jay put a lot of heart and time there. I know I did a little bit of of a tweet during the show. He's still involved in the company. He's not disappeared completely off the earth, but it's just, you know, in a lot of ways, this was an end of an era and beginning of a new one with Kobe world and losing iHeartDG was one of the big moments for me that kind of realized how time has gone by over that, over this. I mean, he was someone who ran this fan site essentially for 20 years and that's a very times a very finite, but at the same time, a very wild construct. And the fact that someone was so devoted to this and you know, one day, you know, it seemed like this was coming for a while. He took a step back and I just wanted, if somehow Jay listened to this, I wanted to be, I just wanted to verbally thank him for all the time he put forth on the site and it will be missed.
0: Absolutely. Um, Just a a quick, just thought on that. I mean, I remember getting into the promotion summer of 2013 um, and then really, really diving in around the start of 2014 and just spending time on his website because that's kind of one of the beauties of the internet is if if you look at stuff long enough and you dig deep enough, there's not a lot of information that isn't out there. And for whatever reason, you know, some people use that information for for medical purposes and they, they help people and people acquire new skills and new talents. Um, I cared about the 2009 Dragon Gate schedule and what was going on in the summer of 2010 and, and what was affected by this and that. And Jay and his website were what I turned to. And I, for a long time, religiously read the website literally every single day so I could learn something new and you know then you know he gets his facebook page it becomes a little easier to follow i become less obsessive with covering the company just because it was information that had been stored uh in my brain and It's all because of jay and none of us would be the level of fans that we are without him um dragon Gate wouldn't have as big of a foot and the western fa- or a footprint in the western fan base without jay and I, you know, would, I, I did not talk to him a lot on a one-on-one basis. Um, every once in a while, uh, I would have a question about the company that Mike could have answered and Alan Forel could have answered. And that's when I would send Jay an email. And I always was sure to thank Jay just for his time and his commitment because he doesn't owe anybody anything. And he did this for 20 years without making any money off of it. And that's noble and honorable. And I have the utmost respect for him. and. I want to thank him just like Mike did for covering the company that we have grown to love. And I think it's, it's awesome. And if he decides that he no longer wants to run the website and, you know, he just posts, you know, bare bones, you know, here's the card, here's the results in English, more power to him because he doesn't owe anybody anything.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the best thing. I think I say is that he in a lot of way was the dragon gate godfather and, you know, he's still involved. He still posts stuff. And, I just felt like we should take some time to thank him and we'll try to do our best in his honor going forward, but it it was a loss, but not to did not want to kind of end the show on a downer, especially after how exciting Kobe world and the rest of 2019 looks like to be in dragon gate. So case, do you have anything big coming up on your plans?
0: Um, nothing that comes to mind. Um, just check in on Voices of Wrestling. Um, I review every Cork and Hall show. I review all the big shows. If you're a new fan and you're not entirely sure what to watch, when to watch it, match recommendations uh, between myself and Mike. I'm at underscore in your case on Twitter, and Mike is at Fuji Hea with two eyes, uh, like Don Fuji. We typically watch the the lesser shows. You have know, the Kobe Sambo halls and the Fukuoka shows. Um, we try to watch them as quickly as we can, and now I'm going to make a purpose of tweeting out match recommendations and letting newer fans know what's worth checking out, um, so so be locked in on my Twitter and be checking that for when shows start up in early August again, uh, but I'm just excited to be covering a company that I'm once again excited about, uh, all of my stuff is either at VoicesOfWrestling.com or uh, every once in a while, Alan Forel will invite me on the Rest Paradise podcast, which is on the PW Torch Podcasting Network, and I love Alan. I think he's a, an amazing human, quite honestly, um, mm-hmm. and I take it as the biggest honor when he invites me to be on his show, because it's Alan Forel, and for the uh, 20 people that that know that as a big name, it is a big name, and, and I'm one of those, and I love... Uh, that alan gives me a platform every so often to come on and talk about the company so that's i've got nothing specific in the works nothing big just the normal chugging along uh writing cork and hall reviews writing pay-per-view reviews uh inviting myself on open the voice gate when i feel like talking about something and having alan invite me on his show every few months
1: the way i kind of look at it case is you're a young man at college sometimes over breaks you come back home. And when you come back home, we record and we talk about it. So it's less that you invite yourself back on; it's more of that you know you're on, you're on break. You want to come on talk with your old friend, and you want to talk about Dragon Gate stuff. So, and I hope to record with you a lot more in the future. Uh, one thing about my Twitter account, I do have a list of match recommendations as a pen tweet. I've been busy. If you've been following the stuff I've been writing, that's kind of been my focus over the last like month and a half was getting these things out for Kobe world. But if you want just like a basis of like match recommendations and why I find it as an interesting match, there's a pen tweet there to a Google document. That's now impossibly wrong, long. I don't know why I write so much case, but I do. <laughs> but, I'm,
0: I'm happy you do at the very least. It's it's more content for us.
1: Yeah. And you know, follow me at, at Fuji. Heya, as his case said it's two eyes like Don Fuji. My DMs are open if you have Dragon Gate questions and I'm more than willing to help you out. And, you know, follow us, the Twitter account for the show at Open Voice Gate. And if you get a chance, please rate and review us on the podcast platform of your choice. But, you know, until next time and hopefully it won't be too long. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time.